0: Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live, and today it is my honor to welcome a screen legend, Hiro Kanagawa, with us. Hiro, thank you for being here. How are you doing? Oh, my pleasure entirely. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure to have you here with us, and like we chatted before... We went live with a resume as vast as yours. We're just going to try to cover some of the highlights of what we've done. Let's talk about a film that you have coming up for release, Date Still Unknown, and that's Orphan First Kill. It's a highly anticipated film where you play a character named Donnan. Uh, From what you can tell us, what is your character about in the film? He's a detective.
1: And, uh, you know, from the first film, Orphan, uh, the, the child, played by uh, Isabel Fuhrman. Yeah. this is a prequel. So um, it's before the events of that first film. But uh, my character is a de- detective who is a little suspicious of her and uh, is obviously investigating what's actually going on. Um, we shot that film in Winnipeg, Canada, uh, at the, basically at the height of the pandemic, the first wave of the pandemic. So it was, um, it was definitely an unusual experience in that regard. It was my first, you know, shoot going away somewhere during the pandemic. And in those days, obviously we didn't really know what we were dealing with. So there were, you know, there was a lot of, um, care taken with with the COVID protocols and so on, and somehow we did manage to to get that done. And I think uh, fans of the original film are going to be really excited and interested to see that Isabel Furman is reprising the same role uh, some 13 or 14 years later. And of course, when she made the original film, she was actually still a child. And now she's obviously a grown woman, so and playing the same role. So, uh,
0: that amazes uh, me.
1: Yeah, it is amazing. And, um, from what I understand, there's no CGI trickery involved, it's all uh, organic movie magic.
0: Wow, that when I first heard that, you know, with the first movie and her age, and now doing the second one, that that just amazed me. Now, the movie is directed by a former guest of ours, William Brent Bell, great guy. Uh, What was your experience working with Brent?
1: Oh, you know, you would never know that that he's directed horror films, you know, because he's just the gentlest, sweetest guy. And uh, I I guess that's kind of been my experience in in a lot of my career. Uh, What people are known for and how they are as human beings. Yeah, Meet them one-on-one. There's very often... large discrepancy especially when you're talking about the horror genre yeah or or let's say the action genre where someone is uh let's say you know has a career as a tough guy or whatever but uh, when you meet them they wind up being just the sweetest gentlest people and you it's hard to imagine where that uh where those images of pain and terror
0: (laughs) come, (laughs) come from where are they coming from I I remember when I first chatted with uh, Brent, uh, I say, hey, William. He's like, first off, call me Brent. So right there and then I knew, I mean, he was just the sweetest guy. Uh, So we're very excited to watch Orphan First Kill. Hopefully we'll get a release date soon. Now let's talk about uh, the science fiction genre, which is your most recent on-screen appearance. And we're talking, of course, about uh, Star Trek Discovery you play doctor hurai who is let me get this accurate an astrolinguist and mm-hmm. xenophonology and theoretical semiotics <laughs> that's quite a mouthful there now uh, when you go into a science fiction role is there any kind of different preparation that you do as opposed to orphan which is a horror film
1: i don't think so um very often nowadays uh because of the secrecy with scripts and so on um it's hard to even know what you're going to be doing uh you know obviously if you're a series regular and so on you might have more information but the case of dr hirai you know i'm kind of like uh I'm kind of like in NFL terms, I'm kind of like a player they picked up at the trade deadline, you know, who's <laughs> yeah. going to join the team for the last six games of the season or whatever. So um, I came in when nowadays, a lot of shows, when you audition, you don't even actually audition with the scene from the actual show. From yeah, the you actual, get sides. Because of the, because of the secrecy, right? right. So i didn't actually know much about the character until i finally got the first script um so in that sense there's not a whole lot of time to prepare in advance but uh there are always you know going to be advisors on set and that's true of obviously if you're playing law enforcement or a medical situation, there are going to be medical advisors, there are going to be law enforcement advisors, military advisors, as the case may be. And, uh, you know, even with science fiction, I know that for this storyline, where we, for the first time, uh, communicate with the 10C of species from beyond the galactic barrier, which uh, is in no ways anthropomorphic, i know from speaking with uh the director and michelle paradise and uh the writer of that particular episode that there was quite a bit of research with people who actually study this kind of thing what would communication with an alien life form be like mm-hmm. how would that you know how what would the first steps be and so on and and obviously there are people who have studied it and uh so it was actually quite fascinating to, to to hear about all of the research that went into that.
0: Wow, I didn't know they they delved that deeply into it. Uh, now, what drew you to the role? Was it the character? Were you a Star Trek fan and just were dying to be a part of this franchise? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, you know, anyone my age, we grew up... Uh, in our childhood, there were you come home from school. There were three channels, yep. and one was Gilligan's Island, and then maybe the Mike Douglas Show or the <laughs> Merv Show, and then and then invariably Star Trek would be on the original Star Trek. Yep. So anyone my age is a huge fan and has seen all of those original episodes numbers a number of times, and uh, and I had actually uh, read for Discovery a couple of times previously for other roles and uh, i think one time at least they were pretty close to casting me but the scheduling didn't work out and Mm -hmm. so on so i was uh, really thrilled when it finally did work out and then you know to finally learn what my character would be and to learn what the situation was that to me was just icing on the cake yeah the fact that my character would you know have a substantial role in this very pivotal uh episode where for one of the first times in the, in the franchise's entire history, humanity communicates with a species from beyond the galactic barrier.
0: Exactly. I completely um, oh. agree with you. Now, Dr. Harai is uh, very calm, has a very calm but cold demeanor. Being watching the original Star Trek, seeing Star Trek over the years, uh, was that strictly written into the script as to how your demeanor was going to be did you have some input into it as to how you wanted to bring him to life
1: well obviously you know the creating characters it's always a discussion it's always a collaboration there's what's scripted and then when you get on set on the day and you're interacting with the director and the other characters a lot of organic things happen but yes uh as scripted, Dr. Hirai was a socially awkward individual. Um, you know, I think uh, President Rilak actually uh, does talk about his poor bedside manner, as yeah. they say. Mm-hmm. So that definitely is in the script. and um, But in playing him uh, over the course of the four episodes, I was very... Uh, definitely able to find, I think, his humanity and the ways in which uh, he's not just, you know, he's not just an a-hole, right?
0: Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree. Now, Discovery is uh, covering a lot of social issues that are relevant, not in the 32nd century, but right now in the 21st century. Uh, do you think that's an important topic for not only discovery, but for entertainment to keep covering?
1: Absolutely. Uh, and as, you know, as as someone of, of Asian heritage, it's been very heartening and and encouraging for me in the last, let's say, four or five years to see uh, so much more awareness mm-hmm. around the topic and to see opportunities expanding for actors of, uh, you know, of diverse backgrounds. And... But in terms of Star Trek, I mean, let's face it, it's always been ahead of the curve, yeah. right? It's always, even back, going back to the original Star Trek, I mean, they had a very diverse cast. They had the first inter interracial relationship mm-hmm. on television and so on and so forth. So um, Discovery, also, it's a matriarchal universe. There are characters of, you know, all... Uh, ethnicities and genders and and i think that's something that should be celebrated it reflects the actual world that we live in yes you know and um and and certainly i know just from from you know fans reaching out to me on social media and so on that it's very important for especially for young kids watching right to see themselves reflected to, to recognize themselves in the faces that they see on screen. And, so Yeah, and be represented.
0: Um, uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm really, that's
1: another, you know, thing about the show that I'm so thrilled to be a part of.
0: Is that what you attribute Star Trek success, you know, starting from the 60s? Like you said, it's always been ahead of the curve and it's still going strong today. Is that what you would attribute its success on?
1: I think that, you know, I think Star Trek to me, differs from other science fiction franchises in that it's not necessarily action-oriented, right? Mm -hmm. It really is more about the idea side of science fiction. It really is more about, you know, kind of philosophical ideas of what would space exploration actually be like and how would humanity conduct itself uh in space and clearly a lot of the political and social issues that we face here on earth uh they would still be a part of Mm -hmm. us because we're human yeah and i think you know what what star trek fans appreciate is that realism yeah, the psychological realism as opposed to you know the, the laser beams and the explosions, and you know, not to disparage those shows that have that, mm-hmm. but uh, Star Trek I think occupies a different niche, and uh, that's what fans appreciate.
0: For me, the question when I was whenever I watch Star Trek is, like, what if that situation was really going on? That was that's I think. At the core, that is the question that a lot of fans ask, and I think that's a big part of his success. Now, moving on from Star Trek, you have done quite a bit of voiceover work in your career, like Mr. Fantastic and the Fantastic Four. Uh, Do you enjoy doing voiceover work? Uh, And what would you say is the biggest difference, voiceover, from being in front of the camera?
1: I do enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I have, I'm doing a couple of shows right now. Uh, the biggest difference I will tell you for me is the ener- energy, expenditure. Uh, and I don't know if it's because maybe my normal manner of speaking is a little bit more laid back or what, uh, you know, there's probably voice actors for whom it's just a walk in the park, but, uh, Even when the show, let's say like uh, Fantastic Four, the character of Reed Richards, Mm -hmm. even when it's fairly naturalistic, uh, to me, it's still a great deal of energy expenditure because obviously the voice is the only thing you have with which to convey emotion or with which to convey any kind of urgency or whatever the scene calls for. And for me, that's a much greater energy expenditure than than live action uh acting in front of a camera Uh, especially because film and television acting today in north america tends to be understated right yeah
0: Yeah. it's
1: it's it's kind of a less is more situation in film and television theater of course you have to play the size of the room Mm -hmm. um and then you know voices perhaps not as big as being on stage in a thousand seat house. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) true. uh, uh,
1: It's still, it's still a fairly large energy expenditure for me. And, and actually I enjoy that, you know,
0: that's awesome. I would definitely have thought uh, actually being in front of the camera where you got to use body movements, voice and everything would be a lot more taxing, but it's very interesting to hear that it's the voice and the amount of energy that goes into it is actually, more taxing than just being in front of the camera. That's very fascinating. Now, I want to talk about one of my favorite characters of yours, and that is the one of a brain-eating zombie lieutenant in <laughs> iZombie. Uh, I love that show. That show has a cult following. Uh, first off, when you know you got the role, did it surprise you that it lasted as many seasons as it did? Not
1: at all. I mean, it was such. Uh, I don't. want to, I mean, the word "charming" comes to mind, which yes. is a strange word to associate with zombies. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought it was such a fresh take on the the zombie genre. You know, I mean, to combine zombieism mm-hmm. <laughs> with the 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 humor that that show had. And the humanity that that show had, um, I thought was, was a great combination. I wasn't surprised at all to see it go as long as I did. And I was very, you know, disappointed that my character, unfortunately, had to self-immolate at the end of season one. And he uh, yeah. uh, yeah. did make a, a brief cameo and a flashback a couple years later. But... Uh,
0: I liked it because I mean, we have seen throughout movies and TV shows zombies try to be portrayed differently in many different ways. And there have been movies that have come close to what I Zombie try, uh, did. But the way I Zombie pulled it off and it just worked so well. What was the atmosphere on the screen working? I mean, on the set working with everybody, did you guys all have like a lot of fun working with each other?
1: Oh yeah I mean from what I, I remember it just being no no tension whatsoever uh, and it just uh, just a whole lot of fun and um, and uh, yeah I, I, my memory of it is uh, a great great deal of fun every time I was there for sure
0: now you have gotten to work on Marvel stuff uh, DC with Smallville you were on supernatural you were on countless, hit television shows um is there any project whether it be film or television that to this day you it holds a special place in your heart
1: i think in you know in recent memory uh altered carbon
0: Mm -hmm.
1: stands out for me um once again i thought that in the science fiction genre i thought that was so well done. And uh, I remember just uh, feeling a tremendous uh, level of excitement when we did that. Is because people forget it was one of um, the first Netflix shows that Netflix actually produced.
0: Originals, on, yeah.
1: On its own. Yeah. Up until then, um, Netflix was, you know, it was just buying content buying, from, yeah. that had already been made. So... There were that there was that aspect of it, and then just the production values were just so immense,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that it was more like shooting a feature film, yeah. right? That was that happened to be ten or twelve hours long, uh, and uh, everything about that was was exciting for those reasons, and then you know just the cast that was uh, assembled as well. It was everything about that that experience of. You know, still, I still uh, have very fond memories about that.
0: Well, let me ask you about that. Here you are, your your cast. You're doing a show that is produced by Netflix. They're still new to this. Um, in your mind, back then, Netflix is, back, you know, when they were starting to make their own original stuff, they were trying to get the ball rolling. Did you see it as a step down uh, from doing... Regular television or film no. work, or were you like, all right, Netflix is producing original content. Let's see where this goes.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, because I had already had a couple of years previously an experience working on *Man in the High Castle*.
0: Yes, which was that's an Amazon yeah, show. Which was one of Amazon's yeah. first shows,
1: and I had the back then. I had the the experience of, you know. Going to auditions and fellow actors going. Oh, what are you working on? No, I'm working on this show for Amazon.
0: Yeah.
1: And they would look at me like, yeah. what? Yeah. Amazon yeah. is making shows. Yeah. You know. But then, and I mean, of course, I when I when I was first cast on *Man in the High Castle*, I had no idea what to expect. But the very first day, walking into the studio for my wardrobe fitting. And seeing the production design and the attention to, and just seeing the incredible world, right, Yeah, that they were putting together, it just blew my mind. And I was like, well, I have, you know, I'm on board, I have no qualms about, you know, the fact that, that Amazon is producing this, yeah. that's meaningless.
0: Yeah, budget-wise, it not. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, but budget-wise, it rivals any big studio film at that point or, you know, uh, network television or any of that. And now we know where that has led to, where we are today. Uh, all the major players on the streaming market are producing their own content. Now, your first credit is like in 79. How yeah, hard?
1: That's got to be a mistake.
0: Well, that's what IMDb says. It says I know,
1: but I don't know. I don't know why. I may have even tried to get that removed or corrected at one point, but
0: was it I earlier than '79 or later?
1: I was. I was in high school in '79. Ah, okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. So let's go even to the '80s and breaking in into television and film, and compare it to the the people that you see today, young folks or not so young folks coming into entertainment, I assume it must have been a lot harder back then than it is now, even though it's still very difficult now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for, especially for for people of uh, diverse backgrounds, uh, it's, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there's more opportunity.
0: Yeah. To
1: break in now than there was when I was starting out, I would have to say that that must be true.
0: Yeah. I agree.
1: Uh, Especially for larger roles, roles, you know, characters that are well-rounded and, um, and have, uh, some substance to them. Um, for many years, you know, I was playing, you know, Dr. Number three or detective Smith or kind of captain exposition. And, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, doctor exposition who delivers the bad news or delivers, you know, this what's the the crisis in the surgery room or so on. Yeah. And uh, so, um, you know, I don't have any any uh, bitterness about it. You know, I cut my teeth doing that, and uh, and I've managed to have a long and productive career.
0: You've had uh, a great career, and it's still going. You know, we're we're looking forward to so much more from you. Here I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on here and sharing just a fraction of the experiences you've had over the years in regards to your work. It's been fascinating to hear. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we go?
1: Well, no, I'm I'm really uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to reach your audience, and uh, hopefully next time, you know, we can talk a more. Orphan. <laughs> We're orphan. I mean, we we actually have had. Uh, a ghost on my family farm back in japan so that's
0: a story uh that's a story in itself yeah i'd love to talk about that i want to thank everybody who tuned in live and those of you who are going to watch this later on again thank you to our guest hira kanagawa who uh took time out of his afternoon to spend with us thank you everybody stay safe and on behalf of hira and myself stay safe stay walking bye everybody bye-bye